And I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 148. Psalm 148. Um, We are bringing to a conclusion today a a sermon series that we have been in in the Psalms this summer. It's our customary grace to to preach through the Psalms in the summer. That's mostly what we've done so far in summers. And that's not to say we're always going to do that forever and ever, Um, but it has served us well. And um, we, in particular, this summer, we're looking at the Psalms, what some scholars call the Psalms of creation. These are Psalms that celebrate um, God's governance and creation of the natural order and the implications um, for his people in light of what he's done in creation. And tonight, we're going to come to the final Psalm, Psalm uh, 148. And um, as is our custom, I will be pairing uh, this Psalm with a reading from the New Testament. In this case, it's Revelation 21. So would you hear these words, Psalm 148? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens. And you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree. And it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints For the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. In Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, Lord, we pray that in this moment you would do the thing that only you can do. And that's by the power of your spirit to shine light on these words that are in your word, to shine light on places in our hearts where the light needs to be shined, Lord, to shine light on the words that I've prepared. And would you use these words, Lord, to stir up in us great hope tonight in our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So our morning routine at our house involves a lot of things, but the thing it always involves without fail, like this is the one thing I can count on every single day, is when I wake up and I come out of my room and into our living room, my two young sons, aged 11 and 8, will proceed to tell me everything that has happened in every sports game from the night before. Our boys are big sports fans, and Leland, our eight-year-old, when he was younger, he would have this little game that he would play where he would walk around in our living room, and he would say, Daddy, who do you want me to be? And what he meant was some sports player. And and I'm like, I mean, he's like, just pick one. Who do you want me to be? And so I'd say, Matt Olson first baseman, Atlanta Braves, and he would stand and he would, he would kind of give what Matt Olson's stance is. Or I'd say, I mean, he could be Scotty Shuffler, the golfer, and he would kind of swing his golf club, pretend, and kind of do that weird foot thing that Scotty Shuffler does. Or um, he could pretend to be Steph Curry um, after making a three-pointer and that sort of thing. And, and one time he said to me, who do you want me to be, Dad? And, and I said, um, how about you just be Leland? And he said to me, you mean just be who I already am? I said, yeah. Psalm 148, I think, is a call for you and I to just be who we already are. And let me make that a little more plain. You and I are worshipers. You're worshipers intended to be in a relationship where you are living a life of praise before the living Lord of all things. That is who you already are. Now, you live in a world that tries to convince you to be anything other than what you actually are. And there are lots of choices on offer for that. 
For example, you live in a world that tells you that you, at the end of the day, are a consumer. A consumer of goods, a consumer of content, a consumer of experiences, a consumer of, of foods or goods or whatever. But that's not what you really are. Or you live in a world that tells you that you are kind of like a brand, like you're a content creator. You're supposed to somehow be putting things out there to the world for thumbs-ups and hearts and whatnot, but that's not what you, what you really are. You live in a world that tries to convince you that you're kind of an, a career person, that you're supposed to earn a lot of money that would actually give you a certain amount of power to consume more things. And you're convinced that the more achievement you can achieve, the more stuff you can consume. But that's just not who you really are. Or maybe you might feel tonight like you're kind of a wave of the sea to use the New Testament's metaphor, just kind of blown and tossed about. But that's not who you really are. So you are a worshiper meant to live a life of praise before the living Lord of all the universe. And the good news for tonight, and this is the main thing I want you to hear as we look at the words of this psalm, the main thing for tonight is that the Lord Jesus Christ has made a way for you to be that person. He's made a way. He has invited you into a life of praising him. He's given you a pathway by which you can take hold of what you're supposed to be. And that's a person that worships and praises our God. Because of Jesus, we can be this thing that we're supposed to be. That's the good news. And to get there, let's look at this psalm. Let's look through some of its features, some of its shape. Um, it's a classic psalm. It's Psalm 148. It falls in a set of psalms, Psalm 145, 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150, that are the conclusion of the entire collection of psalms. Um, they're all praise psalms. They all end, or they all begin by a call to praise the Lord. Literally, praise the Lord. The Hebrew word for that would be hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And 148 sits at the center of these concluding psalms. If this right now were a class on the psalms, that we would, I would say a lot more about this. But just trust me. Um, it's an important psalm that's at the center of the conclusion. And it's vivid and it's powerful, so let's take a look at it. Praise the Lord, verse 1. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. All his angels, all his hosts, sun and moon, shining stars, highest heavens, waters above the heavens. Praise the Lord. The psalmist is, we could say, trying to recruit here. He's being a recruiter. He's trying to recruit the created order to join in on the hallelujah, the praise of the Lord. And he begins with the sky. And you heard me read him off. The sky, he's talking about the, the, the sun and the moon, what, what scholars will call the celestial bodies. Um, 
the things that are in the sky. He's talking about the heavenly beings, God's angels, his hosts, his messengers. See, these are the, the beings that occupy the heavenly sphere, that worship God around the clock and are sent out from God's throne in order to do God's work in the world or to be messengers from him. The psalmist is calling on all of them to praise God also. You highest heavens. This is a picture of just the, the highest end of the universe. And then he says, even the waters above that. So we're getting a picture of an ancient way of understanding the world. Ancient peoples believed that there was a body of water at the highest part of the heavens. And underneath that was the sort of the sky and the sun and the moon and the clouds. And they believed, of course, it was, the, it was because that's how rain can fall, because there's water at the very, very top. The, the whole point is, as far up as you can imagine... And everything up there, join in on singing praise to God. And of course, as we've seen, why? Why should they, psalmist? Verse 5, let them praise the name of the Lord. And here's why. For he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. The psalmist is saying is by the words of God's mouth, he made these things, and by his kind governance, they continue to be and have their existence. In other words, these beings in the sky, the angels, the hosts, the waters, the clouds, everything up there owes its very existence to the Lord. So, of, of, of course, of course they should be found Praising him. I want to return to something I've said a few times this summer. But the idea, the doctrine of creation in the Bible is more than just God made everything. It's God made everything. And at the same time, when he made everything, he made a decision to, at the same time, promise to always sustain everything that he's made. I've said this once or twice, but I'll say it again. For everything to to cease to be, God would not have to do anything. Instead, he would need to stop doing everything that he's already doing. And because that, the psalmist is playing the role of recruiter. Hey, everything in the sky, you ought to be praising and worshiping God. Fair enough, psalmist. Is there anything more? So then the psalmist will move not just to the sky, but to everything now on the earth. He's even going to mention the deeps. Let's read. Verse 7, praise the Lord from the earth. So we were moving down from the sky up above down to the earth. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Again, the deepest part of the sea is considered to be the most wild place and everything all the way down there join in on praising God. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. See, the psalmist is even recruiting the weather patterns to live a life of praising him. Mountains and all Hills, anything else? Yeah, fruit trees and some cedars, all cedars. Beasts and all livestock, creeping things. 
Anybody have any creeping things in your house on occasion? Creeping things. In the imagery of the Bible, just things that can move, can crawl, can walk on earth. And flying birds. This poem, by the way, is mirroring the creation story in Genesis 1. There are some who said that this would have been a perfect song to sing as soon as someone learned the, the creation story of Genesis 1. Now it moves into the human order, verse 11. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. In other words, people who are um, born of noble birth, but also common people, young men, maidens together, so both male and female, old men and children. We're it's just a picture of the spectrum of human existence, both elite people, normal people, male, female, old, young, everyone. Verse 13, let them praise the name of the Lord. See, in the Bible's way of reckoning things, when you talk about everything as high as you can get, or you talk about everything as deep as you can get, and you talk about everything you can think of in between, this is a poetic way of just saying the totality of everything that exists, all creatures of our God and King. Psalmist is saying, why don't you lift up your voices and with all of us sing? The psalmist is trying to recruit, recruit all of the created order, that God has created and God has promised to be sustaining. That's you and me. He's trying to recruit all of these things. He's trying to recruit all of them to be what we are, worshipers of the living Lord of the universe. And one of the things that's really interesting about human persons, it's part of our creaturely existence, it's part of the fall is we can act out of step with who we're really supposed to be. See, a mountain is going to do mountain things to the praise of God's glory. A fish is going to do fish-like things to the praise of God's glory. Other parts of the created order just fall in line, but it's you and me. It's you and me that can often live out of step with who we are. But the psalmist here in Psalm 148 is trying to say, be what you are, be what you are, be a worshiper, join in on the praise, praise the Lord, because you won't even believe the kind of joy that you can have in your life when you will be who you already are. See, to be who we're not is what pains us so deeply. It's what makes us so deeply exhausted and overwhelmed. But to be what we are, a worshiper, living a life of praise in the presence of the Lord of all See, that's a life of joy and peace. That is the life you are looking for. So there you have it. And it all sounds great, but it leaves me with a few questions. And I wonder if it leaves you with some. Maybe just one. I read this 
And, and I, I want to be in on it. But what if I, what if I just, what if I can't seem to get there? What if I'm overwhelmed by sin and death and darkness? What if I'm overwhelmed by current circumstances? To put it plainly, what if I'm just not feeling it? And not feeling it for a day gets strung to two days, gets strung to three days, gets strung into weeks and months and years. Then what? I wonder if you know what I mean. Now, if that is you today, then I want to offer you kind of two thoughts. The first one is I would want to remind you, practically speaking, I would want to remind you that to praise the Lord, to live a life of praise before him, to sing a hallelujah both with your mouth in something like a worship service or with your life in something like a Tuesday afternoon, is not equal to just having happy thoughts or happy, enthusiastic feelings. See, I think sometimes we tend to think, you know, we're not really feeling it. We're perhaps sad or or frustrated, and we're not just overly joyful, so therefore maybe praise for the Lord is not for us until we can figure that part out and then we enter into a life of praise. I think the Psalms would convince us not to think of it that way. In fact, the Psalms, the 147 Psalms that come before 148, will carry us through the full range of human emotion, from sadness and despair and loneliness and joy and gladness and everything in between. In other words, there is a way to praise God. There is a way to praise the Lord through any and every feeling, emotion, circumstance. I want you to know that. Or, or maybe you're here tonight and you're like, I mean, Joel, I don't know that I just have the personality that's like expressively praise-like. You know, when I was a kid and I would, was in church, I would see people who just seemed to be full of joy and full of praise, and they'd be the people who could sing and to raise their hands. And I used to think to myself, like, I just don't know that I have the personality that's just, like, so excited all the time. See, to praise the Lord, to live a life of praise is not about personality. Again, to praise the Lord is not about saying you have good circumstances. Good circumstances are not required to be a person who praises the Lord. A full understanding of your circumstances is also not required. So in other words, if you're here and you say, it sounds great, Joel, but I'm not quite sure what it looks like to take hold of this call that the psalmist offers me. The first thing I would tell you would be those things. Let's make sure we're understanding praise the way that the Bible frames it. 
But here's the second thing I would tell you. The second thing I would tell you is found right here in verses 13 and 14. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above the heaven and the earth, verse 14, and he has raised up a horn for his people. For the people of Israel, the ones who are near to him. See, the psalmist in Psalm 148 is telling us the key to this life of praise we're called to has to do with a horn. Well, what is he talking about? He, he doesn't mean a musical instrument horn, although that would fit here because often in the Psalms, he talks about the lyre and he talks about trumpets and things like that. He's not talking about a horn. He's not talking about, no offense to anyone who you know, was so good in high school band. He, he's not talking about trumpets or trombones or French horns or tubas or other types of horns. <laughs> See, when the Bible talks about a horn... The horn becomes a symbol of victory. See, um, in the Bible's imagery, there are those who believe that perhaps it's like of a bull or a ram after a victory, it would raise up its head. The way that this image gets used in the Bible is an image of victory. See, in other words, the psalmist in Psalm 148 is saying that our Lord, the living Lord who made the heavens and the earth and all that's in it, he has somehow won a great victory for you and for me, and that is the way we become people who praise him. He's won a great victory for us, and we are near to him. What's going on here? In Luke Chapter 1, Zechariah, who's a priest, learns of a baby who's going to come. And he breaks out in song as a result of this announcement. And he says, our Lord has raised up for us a horn, a, a symbol of victory. And this victory is a baby that was to come. And this baby that's to come is the Lord Jesus. In other words, what Psalm 148 is pointing us to is the reality that a praising life is possible because you and I have Jesus. We can be who we're supposed to be a worshiper because we have Christ. Just to unfold this a little bit more. I think you and I tend to think, here's my life, here's my circumstances, here's my thoughts, here's my emotions, here's my feelings, here's my uncertainties, here's the pressures I'm feeling, here's the ups and downs of life in this world. Here they are. And we tend to think we're supposed to somehow deal with th these things on our own somehow, in our own strength somehow, to get past them, to get over them, to get better from them. And then we can leave those things over here so that we can become a person who praises the Lord. But see, what the Bible teaches us is here is our circumstances, and here is our pains and aches and longings and disappointments and uncertainties and frustrations and ups and downs of life in this world. 
And rather, we take the fullness of these things and all their ugly parts are all their brighter parts. And we bring them into the presence of the Lord. And right then in those places, as we bring the reality of our life into God's presence, we find what it means to praise. And as we bring fullness of who we are. We have a companion who knows everything about who we are, who has entered into the human experience in its fullness. In other words, when we bring the fullness of who we are before God's presence, we learn that we have Christ. We have Jesus. We have a Jesus who, who knows us and a Jesus who has won for us a great Victory over sin, death, and darkness. And when you have Christ, you have at least the following things. If you have Christ, you have presence in the places you feel absent. You have an anchor in all the places that feel stormy. You have one that brings order to things that are chaotic. You have one who brings healing and wholeness, either now or in the life that is to come. You have one who brings comfort by the power of his spirit in every place of grief. You have one who invites you into belonging in places of loneliness. You have light in dark places. You have provision for everything that you need. You have strength precisely in every place that you are weak. You have rest, a deep and full and abiding rest in the places you're most weary. You have true food where you're hungry, true drink where you're thirsty. You have a treasure, a treasure that you are searching for. That's worth selling everything to obtain. You have credits of righteousness. You have debts canceled. You have cleansing from sin. You have redemption from slavery. You have all of these things in Christ. And because of that, there is a way to be a person who praises. There's a way to take hold of the call of Psalm 148. And the Christian life is about taking hold of the promises that we have in Christ. Taking a hold of these promises little by little until we have them in their fullness. Right now we see dimly. One day we will see clearly. Right now we know in part. One day we will know in full. I have been in pastoral work in some shape, form, or fashion for almost 19 years. And one thing I've learned is in the ups and downs of life, sometimes the only thing there is to say is simply to say, you have Christ. Which is a way of saying that there is a path to praise always. Let's pray.